morning as we learn from the lives of Miriam and the other women of the Exodus. Teach us what it means to live faithfully. Challenge us in places where we need to be transformed and inspire us to seek your face for the transformation that we need. Amen. Last week, Scott shared the story of Sarah with us. And this week, we come to the story of Miriam. She is another woman whose life is often obscured by the lives of the men around her. After we catch up with the rest of Genesis, very briefly, and leaving behind all of the drama for you to read another time, we're going to follow the story of Israel in Egypt. Along the way, we are going to learn from Miriam and the other women who enable the deliverance of Israel. We will see their character and what virtues we can cultivate to live with the same faithfulness. Let's start with the world's fastest recap of the book of Genesis. We spent last Sunday with Sarah and Abraham. Their son Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, and between them, they have 12 sons who will father the 12 tribes of Israel. One of Jacob and Rachel's sons is Joseph, who is sold into slavery in Egypt. Because of Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, he protects the people of Egypt from a famine, and this earns Joseph a place of honor in the king's service, and it also saves Joseph's family when he brings them to Egypt to survive the famine. The children of Israel settle in Egypt, build their lives, create families, and multiply. And then an elderly Joseph dies in Egypt. Are you keeping up with this historical whirlwind? Now we've arrived at the beginning of the opening of the book of Exodus. And here we are reminded that Joseph and his brothers and that whole generation have died. The people of Israel continue to multiply, and over time, a new king rules over Egypt. This king does not know the history of Israel's presence in his land. He does not know the history of Joseph saving Egypt. What he does is look around and see how many Israelites there are, and he is filled with fear that in a war, Israel would fight against him. Pharaoh instructs the Egyptians to make the Israelites into slaves. They build cities, make bricks, and work in the fields. Unfortunately for Pharaoh, his plan to oppress the Israelites results in their growth, not their death. Finally, Pharaoh can't take it anymore, and he calls in the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. Pharaoh tells them that when they go to the births of the Hebrew women, if the baby is a boy, they should kill it. But if the baby is a girl, they should let it live. The midwives are the first women of the Exodus to teach us this morning. When the midwives leave Pharaoh, they ignore his instructions because they feared God. It's the reason the scripture gives us. And they let the children live. The midwives stand in direct contrast to Pharaoh. First, they're honored by being named. Even Pharaoh, who is an antagonist for 14 chapters in the book of Exodus, never receives a name in the story. But we know who Shifra and Puah are. Second, Pharaoh and the midwives are opposites in their fears. 
Pharaoh looks around and he's afraid of the large number of non-Egyptians living in Egypt. He's afraid of war with the neighboring groups. He's afraid the Israelites will rise up against him. Pharaoh does not fear God, even though God rescued his ancestors from starvation by speaking through an Israelite. Pharaoh does not fear him. Shifra and Pua are presented in the exact opposite in their fear. Their fear is not the Israelites. It's not even Pharaoh, who's the most powerful person in the land. They fear God. They have great respect for God, and they are willing to disobey Pharaoh's instructions to kill the baby boys. This action may well put them in danger. Pharaoh has already shown his murderous intentions, and these women display huge amounts of courage in the face of danger. We will see courageous women return all through this story. And the courageous actions of Shifra and Pua enable the life of Moses. If they had followed Pharaoh's instructions, Moses would have died at his birth. But the faithfulness of these women, these Hebrew midwives, allows Moses to live. After Shifra and Pua leave Pharaoh, and the number of Israelites is still growing, Pharaoh tells the Egyptian people to act against the Israelites and to cast every Israelite baby boy into the Nile. And this is where our text picks up. Let's read together. Well, I will read. You will follow. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and peach, pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The next woman to make an impact in this story is Moses' mother. She's unnamed here in Exodus 2, but we know her name. The people of Israel have chosen to include her name in several of the genealogies found in Exodus and Numbers. The Levite man is Amram, and he marries Jochebed, and they have Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Jochebed is another very brave woman. She already has two children, a daughter and a son, but she's not willing to let her third born die. 
So she acts in trust of God's love and saving history. First, she hides her baby boy. This must have been difficult as infants are not particularly quiet. Perhaps she lived in a place surrounded by other Israelites who would not turn her in. But at some point, she has to know that the wrong person will notice her baby boy. So Yochebed makes another courageous decision. She makes an ark. The word teva means ark more than it means basket. And this ark will save her baby. We're supposed to think of Noah's ark here. Just as Noah built an ark which would carry the people and the animals necessary to save humanity from extinction in the waters of the flood, Yochebed builds an ark which will carry Moses through the waters of the Nile to save the people of Israel. And it is not Moses' actions, though we often think of him as the one who delivers Israel, that are saving here. Moses is the passive recipient of his mother's courageous saving actions. Then we find our first mention of Miriam. She's the big sister who follows Moses to see where he will end up. She is also unnamed in this passage, but she will appear by name after Israel crosses the sea, and her name is recorded in the genealogies with Yochebed's as the sister of Aaron and Moses. Miriam is quite an incredible little girl. We don't know how old she is, but since many women were married by 14 or 15, we should probably think of her as younger than high school age. But Miriam is also old enough to follow Moses' ark by herself. So she's probably not tiny. I'd have to think she probably can't be younger than five. Some Jewish traditions put her at seven years old. Whatever her age, Miriam has inherited her mother's courage. When Yochebed puts Moses in the ark in the Nile, Miriam doesn't just hope for the best for her baby brother. Instead, she places herself among the reeds where she can watch and see what happens. Anyone who sees her following the basket is going to know that this is an Israelite boy and she may witness his murder instead of his salvation but Miriam just can't turn away. Because Miriam follows the ark, she sees when it floats right up to the daughter of Pharaoh who has come to the river to bathe. Miriam had to be terrified at this moment. Pharaoh has specifically ordered the deaths of the Israelite boys, and this is Pharaoh's daughter of all people who is finding her brother. As Miriam watches, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't seem angry. She seems to have compassion. So Miriam takes another risk. She approaches Pharaoh's daughter with an offer of help. She offers to find an Israelite woman to feed and care for the Israelite baby until he is old enough to be weaned. You have to think that Pharaoh's daughter must have known that Miriam was connected to this baby. Who else would be watching him float down the river? But we're not told that Miriam hesitated or thought about running away or hiding? No. She steps up to speak with a woman who may well kill her brother and do who knows what to her. I can't imagine the courage that it must have taken for Miriam to do this as just a young girl. After receiving permission from Pharaoh's daughter, Miriam brings her brother back home to Yochebed to be cared for and raised until he is weaned. 
Because of Miriam's actions, Moses is raised among his family. He's knowing early on both his parents and his siblings. He's also being raised in an Israelite home with Israelite prayers, language, and traditions. Miriam's actions provide Moses roots in his faith, his family, his language, and his community, all of which Moses will need later on when God calls him to lead the Israelite people. He is more prepared because of the actions of his older sister. I want to pause Miriam's story for a moment to note a couple of things about Pharaoh's daughter, another woman of the Exodus story. She's born into the seat of power, but she does not seem to be consumed by the same fear, pride, and power that Pharaoh is. When she finds the baby, she is aware that he's an Israelite, and she's aware of Pharaoh's instructions. But her response is one of compassion to his cries. When Miriam approaches, Pharaoh's daughter listens to this child, and she allows Miriam to bring her mother. Given the circumstances, Pharaoh's daughter must have known that Jochebed was the child's mother. And yet, Pharaoh's daughter chooses life, not death. She arranges for Jochebed to be paid for caring for her own child. And when he is weaned, she welcomes him into her home as her own adopted son. Pharaoh's desire is the death of the people of Israel, and Pharaoh's daughter may not be able to do anything to stop that. What she can do is save the Israelite family before her, sharing life, her resources, her compassion, and her place of power to make sure that this one baby boy survives and his family is cared for instead of punished. She does all of these living great compassion and courage in the midst of Pharaoh's house. After this interaction with Pharaoh's daughter, and after Miriam takes her mother to help raise her brother, we don't hear about Miriam for years. We know that Moses receives his name from Pharaoh's daughter when he is brought back to her. And the next scene is after Moses has grown up and then spent a long time in the land of Midian. Eventually, Moses is sent back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. After much back and forth drama, which you can read in the following chapters of Exodus, Moses finally leads Israel to freedom through the Sea of Reeds. And this is the next time we hear of Miriam. She's named here. Evidently, she has grown up as a faithful woman of Israel, and her faithfulness and leadership receive a brief mention in Exodus 20. Moses sings a song of praise when God rescues Israel. And then Miriam takes her tambourine and leads the women in singing, playing their tambourines and dancing in praise and celebration of God. It is here that Miriam is given the important title prophet. She's the first woman in scripture to receive this title. She is a spokesperson for God. She's also a worship leader for the people of Israel. Years later, we see Miriam again in Numbers 12. This passage is worthy of a full sermon on its own, but for this morning, it's important to note a couple of things. When Miriam and Aaron question Moses' authority, we see that Miriam understands leadership 
to be held and displayed by both men and women. Miriam's question is, hasn't God spoken through us also? And God's rebuke is not about women being leaders or prophets. It is about pride and Moses' leadership. Miriam is punished with leprosy, which would normally subject her to life away from her people. But after Moses prays for Miriam, God says she must spend seven days outside the camp before she can return. Demonstrating the respect and honor that Israel holds for Miriam, the people refuse to move from that place until Miriam is able to rejoin their company. Generations later, she is remembered as an equal of Moses and Aaron. In Micah 6, God is bringing charges against Israel. And God says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Israel received a deliverer and lawgiver in Moses, a priest in Aaron, and a prophet in Miriam as they led the people of Israel. This is all we learn of Miriam. The only other mention of her in the story is the mention of her death in Numbers 20. She joins the ranks of important Israelites whose deaths and burials are, lo- are recorded in scripture. So far, we know of the deaths and burials of Sarah and Abraham, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, Rachel, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, Leah, and Joseph, Miriam, and soon Aaron and Moses will join them. Miriam is important enough for the people of Israel to have her death and her burial noted and remembered for all of history. As I studied Miriam and the other women around her, I was struck by their fear of God, their courage, and their passion to pursue life. They reminded me of more modern examples of those who have lived the same virtues in horrible situations. The righteous among the nations, or those Gentiles who acted to save the lives of Jews during the Holocaust. When I was in Europe, we visited the home of the Ten Boom family. They are just three of the thousands of righteous among the nations. During the occupation of Holland by Nazi Germany, Casper Tenboom and his daughters, Corey and Betsy, worked with the resistance to save the Jews. They built a secret hiding place in their home where Jews and resistant workers could be hidden as part of the underground smuggling system to get them to safety. While there were people hiding in the home, the home was raided. The people were able to get into the hiding place, were never discovered, and were able to be smuggled to safety in the next few days. Casper, Corey, and Betsy were arrested. Because of his advanced age, Casper was offered freedom on the condition that he stop his activities to save the Jews. Corey recorded the scene in her book, The Hiding Place. I have a quote, there we go. The Gestapo chief leaned forward. I'd like to send you home, old fellow, he said. I'll take your word that you won't cause any more trouble. I could not see father's face, only the erect carriage of his shoulders and the halo of white hair above them. But I heard his answer. 
If I go home today, he said evenly and clearly, tomorrow I will open my door again to any man in need who knocks. Casper was sent to prison with Betsy and Corey, and he died 10 days later. Betsy and Corey were sent to prison, then a camp for political prisoners, and finally to Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. There they held worship services and shared the hope of Jesus Christ with the women in the camp. Betsy died just 12 days before Corey was released through a clerical error. And Corey would spend the rest of her life preaching the love and grace of God. Casper, Betsy, and Corey, along with the thousands of other righteous among the nations, are more modern examples to us of those who feared God more than they feared the earthly authorities. In this, they are like Shifra and Pua. They also displayed immense courage, chose to offer life and love to all, and proclaimed the gospel. In these ways, they parallel Pharaoh's daughter, Jochebed, and Miriam. This week, I challenge you to consider of what are you afraid? Is your greatest fear God? Or is it something else? What other people will think? Expectations, failure, loss of power, people who are different than yourself, judgment, insecurity. We could go on and on. There are so many fears which can dominate our conscious and unconscious thoughts and actions. If your fears are anything other than honor and fear of God, then you may find it hard to be a person of courage, of life, of love, and grace when you are in a high pressure or difficult situation. Bring those fears before God and ask God to set you free from your fears that you might be a person of virtue and faithfulness. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.